cheeky back heel. With ease, Miguel Aziz, his first goal for Portsmouth. Into the path of Smithrow, into the box, Smithrow scores! A really deserved first goal in Huddersfield Town Colours. Hello and welcome to another episode of Away From Hail End. And although the first team may have been a little bit disappointing this week, and maybe a little bit more than a little bit, there was some excellent news coming out of our boys on loan. Clearly, the biggest positive has been Reese Nelson as of late, a player we've talked about endlessly on this podcast. But what a performance he had this week. I would say his best since being at Feyenoord. And Jordi Osei-Tutu, also a huge moment for him this week as he scored the equalizing goal in the Papa John's Trophy Final at Wembley in the 96th minute as Rotherham went on to win that game and hoist the trophy. But before we get down to the players and break down their performances, just a quick note on the crushing defeat to Crystal Palace this past Monday. Yes, it was highly disappointing. Yes, we performed horrifically. Pretty much the same performance we put in away to Everton and away to Brentford. The truth of the matter is, this is where our squad is at at the moment. We have 11 players that need to play week in and week out. You could even say 10 with Lacazette being the disaster that he is. But the players are young. The players are inexperienced. The players have not been in these situations in must-win games away from home in front of incredibly loud crowds. Crystal Palace, obviously one of the best home fan bases there are in all of English football, not just the Premier League. It was a tough match. Vieira, all credit to him, has been excellent all season. I believed in him to be a top manager coming in. Uh, He did excellent things with New York City Football Club. He had off and on periods at Nice where he was solid. Obviously, the Premier League is a different story, but he's done great things there. What I will say is by far the biggest disappointment are the injuries. Partey and Tierney will be really crucial losses for us with the next nine games to come. But remember, there was never a chance we were going to win all ten of these matches to get top four. And listen, Tottenham's not going to win all eight of their matches either. Like, there's a reason we're not challenging for the title and neither are them. We're going to drop points. They're going to drop points. The North London Derby is going to be the biggest match of the year. It will most likely decide whether or not we get Champions League. We must get something from that match. And listen, yes, we have a tough run of fixtures. Chelsea, West Ham United, Manchester United, all in the span of of three matches in a row. They're going to be tough ones, but we'll get something from those games. The season is not over. We will bounce back. Lakonga looked excellent in his little cameo when he came on. I, you know, He's not a Partey replacement by any means, but I'm confident that he has matured quite a bit over the course of the season, and he'll step up to the plate here. And I don't want to hear any more of this nonsense of Xhaka playing left back. We bought Nuno Tavares this year to be the cover at left back. He played pretty excellently to start the season, had a few rough performances. He had a rough time at Crystal Palace. It didn't help that no one else was playing up to their standards either. And so he was scapegoated. He played horrifically, and he was taken off at half for good reason. Arteta actually made wonderful substitutions. And on another day, Odegaard and Smith-Rowe score those chances, and it's 2-2 with 30 minutes to play. So, again, I'm not making any excuses. We played horrifically. We deserved the loss. We got outplayed. Just mentioning, it is not time to panic. But that's enough of that. Not what this podcast is about. Hopefully some of you skipped that whole rant because I'm even upset that I even went on it and even had to say something. I think my listeners are very much on the same page as me that we're not going to overreact to these little results. 
I will say though, this Amazon documentary is going to be so brutal to watch if we don't get top four. But if we do get top four, how joyous it'll be to relive those moments and really just go through, I mean, the Lacazette own goal, whatever you want to call it, at Wolves, just all the major results that we had and hopefully to come. But anyway, back to business here as usual. Reese Nelson, what an excellent performance. He actually didn't have any goal contributions in this match, but he looked like a serious, serious player. The player that I know he can be and the player I hoped he would have become a year or two earlier and really, when he had the chance to break into our first team, could have taken. He played 81 minutes at right wing in a 2-0 win over Willem. Interesting to see him getting a chance to play on both sides. I think the right wing is where he's more comfortable because he really likes to favor it on that right foot, and we will actually get to that in a second. But just some stats of his from this game because they're actually ridiculous. I mean, I was watching this game, and I was still shocked when I went back and looked at the breakdown of, of what he did. 38 of 44 passing, two key passes, four shots, one on target, six of six successful dribbles, 10 of 13 ground duels won, two of two aerial duels won, and he drew two fouls. He has become such a physically strong player, and like I don't just mean with the ball at his feet or going into a tackle. Like It's hard to get him off the ball now. His upper body has really filled out, and he's grown in stature. I don't know if it's just because he's wider and, and looks a little bit bulkier, but he looks taller to me. He looks just, he's not a kid anymore. You know what I mean? Like he really looked like a kid out there playing for Arsenal the last few seasons. And he does not look that way anymore. I mean, obviously Eredivisie is filled with youngsters, but this was not a young team they went up against in terms of the defenders. They were mature players who know how to defend. And Reese Nelson absolutely dominated the game. He was so influential. Everything went through him. He was very, very unlucky not to score after what was an amazing turn and touch um, where he you know, basically received the ball, flicked it over his defender, and first-time shot low and away from the keeper who made a fantastic save. Very unlucky for Reese not to score. But the thing that I really enjoyed watching in this match from him was his first touch. It wasn't just receiving every pass and then going from there. His first touch was incredibly lively and positive. He was receiving the ball and taking a touch to where he wanted to take the play next. Sometimes it was backwards, sometimes it was forward, sometimes it was a first-time pass, but he wasn't just receiving, standing on top of the ball, and then purveying his options. He was reading the game as it came to him and making things happen. And that's what he has to do if he doesn't want to just be, you know, any old winger that you see, like, so he's not the next Andros Townsend, right? He doesn't just want to be a player who makes an impact in the final third, and that was the big difference for me today. He was receiving the ball in that middle third of the pitch and making things happen for his team. I will say his biggest weakness at the moment is... He does not want to pass the ball with his left foot. He does not want to dribble the ball with his left foot. Defenders are able to kind of force him where they want him to go. But in this game, he was okay with that. Defenders didn't want to let him get outside on his right foot. He was cutting in and making things happen. If he can continue to work on weak foot passing, and it's actually something I'm going to talk about later with Balagoon, who's so excellent at it, it will make him much harder to defend. And that little bit of trickery he has will come at even bigger of a surprise. But... There are questions being asked here. I think Reese and Feyenoord both kind of want him to stay there. I think he's really enjoying his time there. I don't know if it's going to be a buy or he extends his contract with Arsenal and goes on another season on loan. It's an interesting time for him. I think I, in an ideal world, I think he does want to come back to the Premier League and play in England, but he's also having some success at Feyenoord consistently for the first time in his career, so he may want to stick around. Let's see what happens. I Again, 
I don't know that he's the level of Arsenal if we make Champions League, but if we don't make Champions League, there are a lot of different things that are going to happen. The budget won't be quite as big. If he continues to have excellent end of season here, he might be brought back as a backup option, especially if Pepe leaves. They're making He's making the difficult questions being asked now, and Arteta's going to have to really purvey his options and see what he wants to do uh, when the season comes to an end. Another guy who has just battled with injury and some poor team selections and just a bunch of off-the-field issues that have really been not his fault, who really got a moment that he deserved was Jordi Osei-Tutu scoring in the 96th minute in Wembley to send Rotherham to extra time in the Papa John's Trophy final. And they went on to win it 4-2. He came on as a substitute, played the last 10 minutes of regulation and the full extra time. It was a huge moment for him, and he took it, and he didn't over-celebrate, but you could just see what it meant to him when he scored that goal, his immediate reaction. It was really just a wonderful moment for him, and uh, I, I had only turned on the game once he got subbed on to just see that that final 40 minutes, but what a spectacular moment for Jordy and, and for the club to, to win a trophy. Uh, I'm sure some of you remember Arsenal's U21 side actually made the quarterfinal and was a little unlucky to go out even. But great for Jordy. He was very influential when he came on at left wing back. Uh, and he deserved the goal. He took it wonderfully. The ball fell to him kind of off of a couple of ricochets, and he smashed it home. Really just a great moment for him and the club, and, and everyone was celebrating, Rotherham fans, Arsenal fans alike. I'm not sure what it means for the rest of his loan and what's going to come next. Still not clear what his best position is. I mean, yes, his best position is as a wing back. I don't know what side it's on. I don't really know that he's got a future at the top level. I think he'll find more success in teams battling for promotion in the championship and then being probably a squad rotation player in the Premier League. That's probably his ceiling. But a great moment for him, one he will never forget. And with all the injuries he's dealt with, you really just have to feel great for the guy. I think Rotherham has enjoyed his presence. They've been on a little bit of a slide. They were in first place in League One when he arrived. They've now fallen out of first place. Still vying for promotion. I think if they go up to the championship, you could see Jordy go back there next season. They have enjoyed deploying him on both sides, and his versatility and what he really adds going forward as a wingback is excellent. So great moment for him. We'll continue to see what he does the rest of the season, whether he can stay in that starting lineup. He's kind of been bouncing in and out of it. I think they're also protecting him with the injuries. So huge moment for him. On the flip side of the coin, a guy who obviously is being talked about now more than ever, and if you've been with us for this entire season and preseason, you know a player I've been hyping up, Brooke Norton Cuffey, with another stellar performance for Lincoln City, 90 minutes at right back in a 2-1 win over Charlton, and he's really receiving a lot more attention now, like every week. This week there was a comp that was made that went viral on Twitter, a lot of talk about him. And it was just another excellent performance. It's what I've been saying since the very first match that he got there, that he is such a crucial player in their buildup, and everything goes through him. He has such a level of technical ability that allows them to play out from the back that they didn't have previously, and it's made such a huge difference in their results. I mean, they've won so many more games since he's been there. And a lot of it has to do with his ability to pass the ball with his left foot. It makes him much harder to defend when you're pressing, right? When you're pressing as a defender or an attacker pressing, you want to force and shade that player to where the team has decided that is. In most scenarios, if you're a right back, 
they're trying to force you to have one pass option, which is either wide to your attacker, who's then pinned against the line, or force him back to his center back, who's waiting. If you are able to make that pass with your left foot, though, and into the midfield, that's how you break a press. That is literally step one of breaking the press when you're playing out from the back, and that's exactly what Brooke is so talented at. And it's not that he just can play a simple ground pass with his left foot to the closest midfielder. He can pick out a pass with either foot. Now you've got pressing where the attacker pressing you doesn't know where to force you because you have so much ability, and that's basically the exact thing that Lincoln is having Brooke do. He is so crucial to their buildup. He is such a physical presence. He can dribble by a player. He did all of these things in a 2-1 win over Charlton. 7 out of 14 duels won. Uh, 27 to 36 passes completed. Two successful dribbles. Four tackles. Yes, he still makes the odd mistake here and there because he needs to continue to mature as a player and just simply get used to the level of the game that it is at the senior level. But... It's good to see him get the national, the international recognition that he's getting from the footballing world. And I think the more you watch the struggles that Arsenal are having when their wingbacks are just not up to the task, especially what we saw with Cedric and Nuno this past week in Crystal Palace, the more it makes a case for Brooke to come right into the first team next year as a squad option. Yeah, he's not the best in defense yet. I, I think he is going to have to work on his positioning, and he's only going to learn that from experience. It's going to help a lot when he has either Ben White or Saliba over his shoulder. Guys who are very good at staying in front of the play and understanding what's in front of them. Again, Brooks not going to come into the first team and play 30 matches next year. That's highly unlikely. What's more likely is he's a squad option, a rotation option, someone who can both kind of deploy in a starting role and come in off the bench to provide that cover in that position. And if we do like to go to that five at the back with Rob Holding or next year if it's a Saliba Gabrielle White, five at the back to close out games when we're up 1-0 away or whatever it might be. He's a good option at that wingback position as well because he offers so much going forward. He did miss out on Lincoln's second game this week with a hamstring injury. I think more likely than anything, he needed a rest. He played four matches in 10 days with those U19 matches he was playing with England. I would expect him to be back for next match. I didn't see him pick up an injury in that game against Charlton. So again, I think it's a rest thing. Another player who has played a ridiculous amount of matches recently is Fuller and Balagoon, who scored in the 69 minutes he played in Middlesbrough's 4-0 win over Peterborough. Balagoon continues to operate in that left striker role. The goalie scored a striker's goalie, kept his composure, kind of a bouncing cross that fell kindly to him, unmarked at the back post, puts it home. He's on an excellent scoring run at the moment. And as I say, the versatility is just outrageous. He can score so many different types of goals. He wasn't scoring a lot of these just kind of poacher striker type goals at the U23 level for a plethora of reasons, a lot having to do with the way that the game is played at that level and the way Betsy had the squad set up. But just between the U21 matches and this goal he scored here, he has scored such a wide variety of goals. It's just so exciting to see a striker with that kind of ability. We haven't seen that at Arsenal for a while. Yes, Aubameyang can do that, but as the years went on, he became more of a one-track type goal scorer, trying to add those different levels to his game that we needed. Lacazette obviously basically doesn't score goals. Nketiah, really more of just a poacher type. So it's interesting to see this progression from Balagoon, and it's, again, going to change what's going to happen in the summer. I think if we don't make Champions League, 
Balogun likely to come in and play quite a few matches for us next year. A lot of people are interested in seeing him go on loan again next year, especially if Middlesbrough find a way to get promoted and Wilder stays there and the setup stays the same and Balogun continues to have that kind of success. A lot of people think that's a good place for him to spend on loan next year. I don't disagree. You have to keep in mind if Middlesbrough get promoted, they're likely to be in a situation where they're not going to have a lot of possession in the Premier League. They're not going to have that many chances. So I would be interested in seeing Balogun, if he goes on loan, go to a club with a little bit higher ambition, similar where Broja is at Southampton this year, or maybe a Brighton-type loan for Balogun. Somewhere where he's going to actually get the real chance to improve his goal scoring at the highest level. So we'll see what happens. Surprisingly, stayed on the bench for the entirety of the 1-0 loss to Fulham uh, on April 6th. Again, I think it's similar to Brook. It was a matter of rest. He's played a lot of matches. You don't want to tire out your young players, especially when you're pushing for promotion. And they were in a tough match against Fulham, who's top of the league. So that's my opinion on why he didn't play. But the last thing I want to talk about with Balagoon is his ability to pass with his weak foot. You don't see that that often at this age to be that good at it. He's able to switch the field with his weak foot. He's able to find players making runs with through balls with his weak foot, and it makes him so hard to defend in 1v1s because you can't just force him one way or the other. He's happy to take whichever way you force him because he has that raw ability to use his strength and pace to get by you and then make the pass he needs to make. He created a lovely chance that should have been scored uh, with which he had his back to the goal, took one touch further away from goal, and turned and passed with his left foot. Beautiful through ball, and that was then crossed to the middle. Unfortunately, his teammate unable to put it home in the game versus Peterborough. But these are the kinds of things you can do when you have the ability to pass with both feet. Makes you much harder to defend. Balagoon continuing to get better at that. He's gotten better at every aspect of his game since he's been on loan, which is obviously the dream situation. So, again, another player that... They've really figured out where the right places were to send them on loan, and that's the advantage of sending someone somewhere in January. You can see how the team is, how they've played the first six months, how the manager is using his players. Arsenal identified some good loans for Brook and Fullerin. Let's see how the rest of the season goes. Both players, though, could very well be in the senior squad next year and get a good chance to impress in cup games and in regular games. I mean, it's not a deep squad at the moment, so... If Arsenal prioritize spending 80 to 100 million on a striker this year, these two guys might need to come in if, you know, if we don't make Champions League. Kerry Clark, though, finally returned to action, getting his first appearance for Ibernian in a 1-1 draw with Dundee, and he played 90 minutes, which is great to see after a long timeout. Clearly, they were not rushing him back. As I've said, this is a loan with an option to buy, so it's not clear if Harry Clark will ever come back to Arsenal, but we're going to keep an eye on him, obviously. And he played in a role that I haven't seen him play in previously. He played in a left center back role in a five at the back, three slash five at the back. He scored a goal in his debut. Continues to score goals this year. He scored quite a few goals for a defender, and you would have no idea that this guy is a center back the way he scored this goal. He's, first of all, alone in the box. None of his strike... Strikers on his team are not in the box with him. Receives a lovely lofted cross. One touches it down with his right foot past the defender. Fires it home quickly with his left foot. Low and hard. I mean, wonderful goal for a striker. Even better for a center back. And he really is 
got an excellent shooting ability from all over the pitch. He had a, quite a few shots in this match that could have been goals from outside the box. A couple deflected, a couple blocked, one that just went sailing over the bar. But he was really venturing forward. I find his profile to be incredibly interesting. He kind of reminds me of Callum Chambers, the way he's so versatile. Like, in this back five, when they had possession, he was stepping into midfield and venturing further forward than that. So the wingbacks were kind of protecting where he was, and he was stepping up kind of as that wingback role because he did play a lot at right back earlier in the season on his first loan. So it was really interesting to see him be in those advanced positions and do so well. I mean, you would not think this guy's a center back, the way he plays with the ball at his feet. Uh, and also the way he kind of defends is a little questionable. The goal that uh, Hibernian gave up to Dundee, he really just looked a little bit slow to it. He allowed his player to get all the way to the end line and make a cross in and didn't get back to the right position when the ball was kind of hit back across the box. And, and that's how Dundee scored. I think a lot of that also has to do with the fact that he's spending so much time venturing forwards. So the defending not top of mind for him, but great to see him back on the pitch, getting a goal. His tally this season is quite impressive. And I don't think with the way he plays and kind of the fluidity to his positioning. He's a player that Arteta will likely use. Arteta obviously will use an incredibly rigid system that is based around players taking up certain positions for the entirety of the game. So not someone I think Arteta would like to play, but Helen players need to help fund the club. That is a huge aspect of it. Selling Harry Clark for four to eight million pounds or whatever it might end up being, that's a nice coup. That's pays for Nuno Tavares was an eight million pound signing. So Harry Clark, glad to see him back. I think Ibernian was glad to have him on the pitch. He really upped their level of game. Great performance from him. I'm sure they will be careful with him returning from injury, but played the full 90 minutes, so anything's really possible. Another defender who has played just so many matches since returning from injury, not a second to rest, Daniel Ballard, played two matches this week for Millwall, who not really up to their standards that they were just a few weeks ago. 2-2 draw with Luton and a 1-0 loss to Swansea. But Ballard continued to do the same things that he always does. Beast in the air. He won, over these two games, he won 19 of 27 duels. That's just an outrageous, outrageous statistic. He had eight clearances. He had seven tackles, five interceptions over these two games. He is just so, so good at keeping the ball in front of him and his man in front of him. He was very involved in the first game against Luton uh, in terms of the distribution and playing out from the back. It was an incredibly open game. Both teams had lots of chances, and he had a key pass, actually, off of a lovely cross uh, that he was unlucky not to get an assist on. But he does need to work on his distribution on those long passes. Sometimes he gets a little flustered with the press and just clears long, and there is a pass that's on if he's able to make it. And the question is, is he able to make it? He often doesn't test himself. He doesn't want to be at fault for a goal. So that's really kind of takes him a step back in the modern game. But second division English teams, low-end Premier League teams, this is how they play. He would make for a great center back on any of these teams, especially the ones that are now playing in that five at the back. He really commands that right center back area quite well. And... In the Swansea game, they had basically no possession, something like 32% possession. 
and they were just getting pressed high, and that's not where Ballard's at his best. He was often clearing long. He was happy to play balls into his midfield when he had them, but it wasn't often. And a big way Millwall kind of can create is playing into their attackers as outlets and back to the goal and then and then pursuing from there. Ballard unable to really help with that in the Swansea game. They really weren't able to create much. But he continues to play excellent defense and rarely makes a mistake. He was dribbled past once in these two games, which is rare for him. But in that Luton game where he was dribbled past, it was just a little bit frantic as the championship can tend to be and as the scoreline showed. And our last player who got a chance out on the pitch this week was Matt Smith, who now is at 44 appearances for the season. If he plays the rest of the five matches, that'll be 49. 49 appearances for him out on loan at Doncaster. 2-0 loss to Wycombe. They went down early yet again, continuing to struggle Doncaster. They're now seven points off safety, looking likely to get relegated to League Two. But Matt Smith was able to get more advanced for the first time in a few matches. He had really been stuck in the last few matches with a lot of kind of defensive work, which is good for his progression because that's really where he needs to grow the most. But he was great as Doncaster were chasing the game. He was, you know, great in creating chances. He had two key passes, 39 of 45 passing, three of four on long balls. He's really got an excellent ability to switch the field and see his wide players really when they get wide and push those boundaries as they need to do. So he did that well, had a shot on target for the first time in a while. Those are hard to come by for him. You know, it's been great experience, as I say every week. You know, he's going to have nearly 50 appearances at Doncaster. The grind of a relegation battle is experience unlike any other. Hopefully it doesn't kill his confidence. It doesn't seem to be. I think it's likely he moves on from Arsenal when he comes back. But great for his experience to get 50 appearances in. And hopefully he can find himself a championship side or a League One side next season where he can make an impact and, you know, continue to progress his game. He's still young. He's likely to be, you know, championship-level midfielder for most of his career, but there's nothing wrong for that. The last few guys we've got here who none of them featured, most surprisingly, Nikolai Moeller missed out uh, in a match on what seems to be an injury. He didn't make the squad. There's not a lot of clarity exactly what the situation is. My guess is an injury or COVID. We'll see. We'll keep an eye and see if he plays in their next match. And then you've got... Tim Akinola, who's now picked up an injury, and so he didn't make the bench. So now it's like, will he ever play for Dundee again? I, I don't think so at this point. Carl Hines still out injured. Ryan Alabiosu still out injured. Tyrese John Jewell still out injured. And Ainsley Maitland-Niles on the bench for a 1-0 win over Sampdoria. Likely to feature in the April 7th match in the Conference League. That's where he has seen uh, the most of his playing time as of late. But as we've said, that lone move... More and more shocking every day that we didn't keep him around, especially now the squad's even thinner. Could have really used him as an option to deploy either where Partey's out or where Tyranny's out. A lot of question marks about that loan move. Obviously one that Ainsley wanted more than Arsenal did, so you can't really fault Arsenal for letting a player leave on loan who didn't have a lot of interest in playing. Anyway, that's the wrap-up. That's the sum of what has happened this week for the Hale End players on loan. Arsenal have big matches ahead. So do our players who are continuing to grow. A lot of exciting things. The biggest question probably right now is Reese Nelson. What is the next step? We will find that out soon. There's not that many weeks left in the season. Four, six weeks. Feyenoord still in the Conference League. That'll be fun for Reese to play in. 
Um, hopefully, Norton Cuffey's injury, not a big one. I really don't think it is. I really think it's a matter of him having played four matches in 10 days. So we shall see. There are some exciting things to come up. Next Gen Arsenal may be joining us in the next few weeks. We've been in talks about having him on as a guest. I know all of you are probably following him, one of the better accounts out there, especially following Hale End Boys. And who knows? There might be a couple other surprise guests in the works. This offseason will definitely have a lot of fun. Hit me up with any questions or anybody you're wondering or want to just talk about. Uh, Marcelo Flores made it into the first-team squad for the first time in that Crystal Palace match. Unluckily, didn't get a chance to play. But that international break, he was really key for the Mexico U-20s. Definitely a reason why he made the bench. And as more players go down injured, there can be more chances for Hale End players. I wouldn't be surprised to see Agungbo get a chance at left back if Tavares doesn't work out, or Zach Swanson, or there's talk of Lino Sousa. He's pretty young, but, you know, he's really been stellar, and he's already passed Joel Lopez on the left back scale at the academy. So anything's possible, man. Anything is possible, especially the way these injuries are happening. We're going to have to buckle down. We need to make Champions League. Let's just see how it goes. But that's not the focus here. We're going to continue to watch our guys out on loan, and we will be back next week.